Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. How many of you hate seeing someone on the side of the road, car broken down? It's pretty much everybody, right? Because most of you are good humans. You don't like seeing someone broken down on the side of the road. It, you know it's going to cost them money. It's going to cost them valuable time. Uh, but here's the truth. It's just not fun being broken down on the side of the road. And so we don't like to see people in that spot. Now, most people get a little sad when they see people broken down, but not me. Uh, you want to know what goes through my head? Oh, crud. Should I stop and help them? <laughs> I'm not so much concerned about their inconvenience. I'm usually concerned about the inconvenience to me. Because if I don't stop, I feel like the next couple miles, I'm going to be all worried uh, that, I didn't, that I didn't do the thing that God probably wanted me to do. Uh, but if I do stop, I don't know anything about cars. People are just going to they're gonna be like, hey, thanks for stopping, but you can just drive on. Because I'm not going to be any help. Um, but I know if it were me stranded on the side of the road, I would love for somebody to come and take care of everything for me. But, but doing that for somebody else, it's like the last thing that I want to do. And just a couple years ago, Crystal calls me up, my wife. She calls me and tells me she's got a flat tire, like 15 minutes down the road, uh, down I-90 on her way to Madison. And that's like the worst call for me to get. It's the call where I literally start thinking, great, this is where my wife realizes that I cannot be her knight in shining armor. I just don't know how. Um, I didn't go and change her tire that day. I called my insurance because I've got roadside assistance on my insurance and they came and changed the tire because I'm literally no help whatsoever and some of you are like hey at least you, you found the phone number okay at least I had that uh, but do you struggle with loving people in their difficult moments the way that I sometimes do do you struggle to give them the kind of treatment that you know someone would offer you or that you'd want someone to offer you in that same situation uh, do you see someone's obvious need and then you can't help but thinking, man, it's just my luck that I would run into this situation. For me, it's embarrassing to think of how many times I know that someone needs just treatment in life. They need a hand. And I feel like I'm the one who got all the bad luck for recognizing it and feeling like I've got to do something. You see, justice is this idea of just treatment or behavior towards someone. It's a lack of prejudice. It's seeing a situation where somebody's stranded and thinking of them first rather than how it's going to affect you. It's not prejudging them for how they got into the position that they're in. Now here's a verse. Uh, we're probably going to talk about this the next five weeks as we're in this new series talking about the idea of justice. And it comes from Micah 6, verse 8. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're called to act justly. You know, injustice and love, they go hand in hand, uh, but we don't always bring the two together super well. Uh, you can't have love without justice being present. Just treatment of people, it is this requirement for love. Uh, can't be us just f having good feelings about people and saying the right things. There has to be some kind of action to it. And that's the thing. Uh, there, there is action in God's love for us. You know, we, we hear all the time that the God of the Old Testament was a, was a different God than the God of the New Testament. He was, he was angry and wrathful, and the God of the New Testament is loving and kind and merciful. But honestly, it's just not the way it was. 
You know, you look back into the Old Testament with a guy like Jonah, who God told to go to a certain city, Nineveh, and tell him they needed to repent. And he hated that city, and he didn't do it. And he ended up getting swallowed by a fish. But then that fish let him go. And God let him go back to that city of Nineveh. He had mercy on him. Uh, every seven years, people were called to release their debts that people owed them. Every seven years, there was an act of mercy, an act of justice. You see, all of God's character traits, they are a part of God all the time. God in the New Testament isn't just a God of, of marigolds and fairy dust. Jesus was loudly in opposition to the religious leaders. God's wrath was probably showed up greatest in the wrath that he placed on the sin of us as Jesus died on the cross. God's love is present throughout Scripture. It is who He is. God is love. Uh, and because He's love, He's always in the practice of seeking justice. Just treatment of His creation is what He's all about. And so here's something that we need to remember about God's love when it comes to justice. God's love is not mere sentiment. And what do I mean by that? Love is not the thing that God simply feels towards us. It's how He arranges life around us. God isn't just thinking, man, I really love that Kellen. He's actually working for my good and he's finding ways to show his love for me. He actually acts in love towards us. And, and hearing that, some of you might, you might get a little bit skeptical. You might be thinking, man, I haven't, I haven't experienced God doing anything for me lately. But if we're honest with ourselves, we often fall short-sighted in seeing the love of those who are wiser than us. You know, case in point, I'm guessing most of you, when when you were growing up, you, your parents did things that you're like, man, I'm never going to do that to my kids. Now you, as a parent, you find yourself, you're doing the same exact things that your parents did. Why is that? It's because you're now wiser and you see that real love is a little bit messier than what you once thought it would be. Real love isn't giving kids what they always want because it only then produces a bunch of spoiled brats. It's not about coddling kids because sometimes you gotta let them go through pain for character to be built up. So yeah, your life might, it, it might not feel like God is always acting in love towards you. But then you need to recall that he is so much wiser than you are. His ultimate job is to give you a chance. And the only chance that you had was Jesus going to the cross for you. That one act of love that our Heavenly Father did, letting Jesus, His Son, come into the world and die in our place, that one act of love is the one act that shows that His love for us is more than just a feeling. It's more than just sentiment. It is an action, and He acted in love towards us. He's going to continue to act in love towards us. Uh, but, you know, love for us, a lot of times, it's, it isn't anything more than a sentiment. Maybe it's because we, we throw around the word, word love too casually. You know, there's a lot of people that I quote-unquote say I love, but man, I'm not going out of my way for them for real, am I? I have a high liking for a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to drive 10 miles out of my way to pick you up on the side of the road because you called me at 2 a.m. saying that your car broke down. Listen, I'm a night owl, but I'm also 40. I have plans for my next day. At some point we need sleep. We might like people, but it doesn't mean that we get excited to, to, to pull their weight when they're not able to come to work because they had a sick kid at home. We love all these things and all these people, but it doesn't often go much further than a feeling that we have, than a feeling of warmth or affinity. But real love 
requires something so much deeper. It requires conviction. It requires a little bit of sweat and blood and tears. Really, it requires a level of passion that leads us to fight on others' behalf for justice. And that's the, that justice that, that, that Jesus fought for on the cross is the justice that, that should be what we're, we're, we're trying to give to other people. And that justice is what he fights for us for. And, and so there's a story, a parable that Jesus actually tells that I think perfectly illustrates the idea behind this kind of justice-seeking love that, that we need to try to be living out in our own lives. And so I want to take a quick look at this brilliant parable in Luke chapter 10. It starts in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he went, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, this parable, I think, it's always been a fascinating one to me. If you've been in church for any amount of time in your life, you've probably heard a sermon, at least one sermon on this passage. Uh, but I'm actually fascinated by what led up to this parable. See, you've got this guy who's described as an expert in the law. He knows Scripture, what we call the Old Testament. He knows it like it's the back of his hand. And still, he doesn't have a complete answer for how you can inherit eternal life. And so Jesus asked him, okay, what do you see in the law? What does God's word say about eternal life? It's incredible how this expert breaks down how he sees God's word, that it's to love God with every part of yourself and to love your neighbor as yourself. But here's where the problem comes in. This expert thinks he's got this loving God thing down pat. He knows all about scripture. He does all the right religious things. He doesn't break any of the laws. But who are the neighbors that he needs to love? Let's be honest, this expert is not doing anything that you or I haven't done before. Think about all the people that you've decided aren't in your circle of people that you need to love. The person who lives next door, who's always whining about your dog barking or your kids running through that, that one-inch edge of their grass. Or the politician who you think is so awful that you've, you've said, if you saw him in person, you'd treat him like they weren't even a human. The classmate that you grew up with and then they cut you out of their life without any explanation. The sibling or the parent or the cousin who hurt you so many times that you decided that you're done with them for good. Or the celebrity that, man, they did something so bad or they've got such a, 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 such a kind of character that you can't stand that if you saw them in real life, eh, 
You'd be awful to him. You see, the expert in the law didn't think of people like this as being his neighbor. He didn't think he had to love them. He didn't think he had to seek justice for them. You know, and deep down, I think we all think this expert is a punk for trying to get out of loving people by asking who, who his neighbor actually was. But we all cast off somebody as not being in this circle of the kind of people that we need to love. And when we do this, we are setting up a, pre- a prejudice on those people. We've decided ahead of time how we're going to treat them. And that treatment's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be what God would want us, how he'd want us to be treating people. Now, for people who haven't been transformed by God's love through Jesus, uh, justice may seem like having a freedom to treat people in the likeness about how, of how they've treated you. You know, if, if justice is all about treating someone else justly, wouldn't it mean that I can treat them however they treat me? You know, for instance, I had a, I had a friend. Uh, made a, I made friends with this kid back in fourth grade uh, at kids camp, at Bible camp. And this kid was fun to be around. Man, he did magic tricks. He talked to girls, which was cool for me because I was shy and I didn't talk to girls. He did magic tricks while talking to girls. And so it was like being around him was one time where I'd be around a situation where I might talk to a girl. Um, but this friendship, it didn't stay tight. Uh, later on in, in middle school and high school, we were still going to the, to the same Bible camps together. Um, but there was like this wedge that formed between us. We both played basketball. We were both point guards. Uh, but my team literally won the all-important three-on-three basketball tournament every year, like five straight years. And I started to notice something. Uh, once his team got beaten and were out of the tournament, I see him sitting on the side of the court cheering against my team and cheering for whoever played against me. Frankly, uh, it, like it hurt me. I thought we were friends, and I could see that there was like this jealousy inside of him at the time. Uh, he got so mad about this basketball stuff that I feel like he lost sight of our friendship. Now, justice, according to our world, might say, man, I should give that kid the same cold shoulder that he's given me. I should be happy when he fails, and I, I should act like he doesn't deserve it when he succeeds. That would be just treatment of him him getting what he had coming to him. That's justice, right? But the idea of just treatment isn't based in the treatment that somebody else has given you. When you've been forgiven by God, when you've accepted what Jesus did as a sacrifice for you, the idea of just treatment of others isn't looking to their treatment of you any longer. Justice comes from the treatment that God has given you. You've been forgiven so much that you don't deserve to be forgiven for. You've been given life when your actions deserve death. So now for a person following Jesus, just treatment of others, it always needs to line up with forgiveness, with second chances. See, we give justice because Jesus has given us justice. We give justice because in Jesus we've been given justice. So that's why why Jesus tells this parable, I think. He picks the absolutely most loathsome person imaginable for this expert in the law. He picked a Samaritan. And he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. The guy who does the obviously loving and just thing. You see, a Samaritan and a Jewish expert in the law, they would have had nothing to do with each other. The expert in the law, frankly, would would have considered the Samaritan a sinner, unholy, unworthy. Not even something that they should give a second thought to. But in this story, there's this guy who gets attacked and robbed. He's left to die on the side of the road. Here's the crazy thing, just as a side note. I've always assumed that the robbers were were going to steal this dude's money. 
Jesus says nothing about the money. He just says that he, they took his clothes. Like, that's weird, right? And it, like I know robes were really valuable back then, but it's just weird picture here that Jesus paints. These robbers, they, they stole this dude's clothes, left him naked and half dead on the side of the road. But then what happens is along comes a priest, and the priest knew God's law. He probably would have given Jesus the same response that the expert in the law did if Jesus asked this priest how would he get to heaven. He'd probably say, love God, love your neighbor. But this priest had convinced himself that this person on the side of the road wasn't his neighbor. He was naked. He was in need. Maybe he's thinking, man, this guy, this guy probably had, got what he had coming to him. He's probably got gambling debts. Maybe he's, maybe he's gotten into some drug use and he, he owes somebody something. Uh, but something inside this priest said that he was not obligated to treat this man on the side of the road the way that he would have hoped to have been treated if he were in the same spot. Here's the thing. That, that priest, if the same thing happened to him, he would have been like, well, this wasn't my fault. But when he looks at this guy on the side of the road, he immediately puts this prejudice on him that it was his fault completely why he was there. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I see myself in this priest sometimes. Don't you ever find yourself coming up with reasons why it's not your responsibility to kind of figuratively walk over to the side of the road and help the person who's lying there naked and half dead? Now, not, no one person can go out of their way for every single down now person in the world. But here's the question. Do you make a point to do so when you're the one who can do it? Do you find excuses for not bringing justice to the person that's right in front of you, the person whose need is so obvious that a little kid could see it? You know, the Samaritan in this story, he gave his time, he gave his energy, he gave his money to help this non-Samaritan neighbor of his on the side of the road. You probably, you may not have to give up all three of those things, time, energy, money, to help somebody and, and to bring somebody justice. But it's likely you're probably going to have to do something. You're going to have to give up one of those things at least. Now, if you're like me, the idea of justice has almost become too big of a problem that it doesn't feel like it's something that I can fix. You know, what does justice look like in our culture today? Because it's complicated. Most of the arguments that you hear talking about justice today, it's dealing with these systemic issues of injustice that are complicated. They're so big. Frankly, I don't think, I don't know if any of us can by ourselves change a whole systemic nature of injustice that's taken place. But that doesn't mean that we bow out of the fight of bringing justice to people. See, justice happens one person at a time. Doing what is right toward people is sometimes impossible to discern on a global level. But it's easy to discern when it comes to the person right in front of you. Think about this. The priest and the Levite in this story these two guys who walked by this naked, half-dead man lying, lying in the open road. Those guys were the vocal leaders of their culture. They were the ones that were in the public square. They were out in the synagogue. They were telling everybody else how they were best meant to live. They were telling everybody else what the righteous way to live was. But when it came down to it, when they had a moment to actually make a difference and bring someone some good who needed it, they turned and they looked the other way. Why don't we see just treatment in our world today for everybody? Because too many people talk about how justice should be happening and not enough people are practicing justice with every single individual that they come across. Now, being a person of justice is being somebody who, whenever you find somebody in a bad spot, you do what you can to give them the treatment that 
would better their lives. It's living without prejudgment. It's putting aside how you're being treated in the moment because Jesus put aside how you went against him so many times before. See, the priest and the Levite in this story, they both forgot something on the road that day. I think they forgot something that would have helped them to be empathetic to this dying man's situation. So what was it they forgot? They forgot that they were lowly. Just like the naked man was lowly, they were lowly. They forgot the grace that they needed from God, just like that man needed. The trick to being a person of justice is this. Remember the depths from which Jesus went to pick you up out of. Remember how lowly you are. You know, Paul, a guy who wrote like a third of the New Testament, a bunch of the New Testament, whatever it was, he called himself the worst of sinners. Here's what I love about what he did with his life. He was a Jewish man and he became a missionary to Gentiles, something that Jews wouldn't do because he saw Gentiles as being people who deserved justice. They deserved to hear about who Jesus was. Do you consider yourself lowly like Paul considered himself? And I think it's an important question because the answer is probably going to determine whether or not you're going to put yourself on the line for people who find themselves in a low position in life. Listen to what Pastor Timothy Keller says. He says, God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so shall we. That is what it means to do justice. In ancient cultures, the power of the gods was identified with the elites of society, kings and military, not to outcasts and lowly. Yet the God of the Bible distinguished himself from other religions by showing his power and provision to the lowly. So that was Timothy Keller. Uh, I, I listen to that. I'm so grateful that Jesus did not neglect me because of how lowly and sinful I was. You know, the, this big, huge God of the universe saw teeny tiny little Kellen and he chose to treat him well. You know, when I talk about teeny tiny Kellen, I'm talking about uh, character. I'm not talking just about stature, all right? Uh, but we're called, like God treated us with just treatment in our own humble circumstances, we're called to treat people in their hum humble circumstances with justice. And I'm saddened when I think how often I, I prejudge a person instead of simply aiming to make their life a little bit brighter, instead of showing them a little bit about who Jesus is. Instead of that, we, we sometimes show our inner priest on the road. We judge people. We don't treat them the way that we'd want them to treat us. You know, when you see someone who's in a struggle, do you think of all the reasons that it is that why they're probably in that struggle? Do you tell yourself all the reasons why it's their fault that they're there and go over all the reasons why you've done better for yourself? Or do you empathize with the person? Does your heart break for the hurt that you see going on? Do you ask God what you can do for them, remembering with gratitude what he's actually done for you? That's what we want to be as a church. Let's be a church that others will look at as being full of love because as a church, we seek to love others through justice. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that, that each and every one of us would learn how to look at people on the side of the road without judgment. God, I pray when people are down and out that we would be the people that would bring light to their life that would introduce Jesus in the time where, where Jesus needs to be introduced. God, I pray that we would be people treating others with justice. Not justice based on how they've maybe treated us, but justice based on how you have loved us and treated us with grace and mercy. God, help us this week. 
to love with justice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.